Let's get educated. That's why we're here, to bring you the stories impacting K-12 classrooms and college campuses. It's time for a little education. Well, welcome one, welcome all. I am Katie Patrick, joined by Mr. David Ferrazzo. Now, before we get started, are you still saying to yourself that you need more FaceTime with me and David over there? <laughs> of course you are. That's why tomorrow, tomorrow, yes. we're 24 hours away. We are launching a brand new monthly program called After School Special because we're all special. David and I will be joined by Dr. Duke Pesta and Dr. Yes. Jake Jacobs for yes. a fun discussion. And I'm hoping it will be fun because if I'm stuck with these three dudes and it's not fun, then boo. It sounds like fun. In addition though, we'll be answering your questions on air. So go to, go to stayeducated.org, send us your queries and let us know, ask anything. And uh, tune in tomorrow, 7 p.m. Central and check out our first after-school special. It should be a lot of fun, Katie. It really. You promise? Pinky promise? Can't promise, but I'm, it's highly anticipated fun. Ooh, There's ant much fun to be had. Ah, well, we are going to start today with some fun, is it? <laughs> I don't know if it's fun. But anyway, <clears throat> we have a new report by veteran news journalist John Stossel and the examination of the ways school choice is providing competition for public schools and ultimately forcing them to raise their game yeah. up. Oh, yeah. It's no surprise. Competition improves things in every field. Henry Ford's assembly line was great, but by today's standards, his cars were lousy. That's because every year, car makers design better cars. Competition forces them to innovate. But American education has barely changed since the days of Henry Ford. Kids still sit in a room watching a teacher at a blackboard, and then they do worksheets. Still, the education establishment says, we don't need competition. Our neighborhood schools, I believe, truly have what every child needs. But they don't. I once debated this union boss. Unionized monopolies like yours fail. Those folks who want to say this all the time, they don't really care about kids. <laughs> oh my, wow, did you see that? That's Randy, Randy wow. Weingarten back in her day when she was in her prime, cause now oh. you have seen her lately. She's, she's past her prime and uh, we'll get to more on her in our next story because Randy always has a lot to say. She's the head of the union, by yeah, the way. Stay tuned for that. But mm -hmm. Katie, I thought Stossel made a fascinating point and that is competition. What? In what competition? area of life do you not allow competition to improve everybody? Every, the whole, it, and so education, he, I thought he made a brilliant point saying that if there's no competition, your standards are not going to be raised. No, 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 David. Okay. We cannot have competition. Why? We're not allowed to have it anymore because it's not. Everybody's equal? Equity. Oh, equity. That's it's right. Not D -E equity. Diversity, equity, inclusion. inclusion. I keep forgetting. Remember, I like to do D-I-E. Die. Mm, that's what we're doing as a society. If you don't have the competition, which John Stossel does make a very good point, because these public schools, for as much as they, they are always wanting money, give us more money, we need more money, we, we, we can't do our education yep. without money, we need more money. At the same time, they're trying to say, no, everything is good, 
we are we are fully educating our children here. Don't don't you don't change anything. Let us do what we're doing. Shh, go away. Give us the money. But then go away after that. And that's yeah. what the public schools are doing. They don't want that competition. They want to be the monopoly yep. out there because other schools can do education better, cheaper, more in line with anything that used to be called American values. And so public schools and our one and only Randy Weingarten are scared bleepless. Yep. But we have more video. John Stossel, take it away again. Yep. Why not trust the parents to decide what's best for their kids? What you're doing is you're incentivizing a lack of collaboration. If I'm competing directly against you, then I have a vested interest in doing better than you. But isn't that good? Not in education. Oh, so oh, competition is good what? everywhere what? else, but not in education. Yeah, what, what, play that, play, but not in education. Okay. No competition. Uh, yeah, no, as you you sorry. He, he's, he's the head of the Fairfax, Virginia, who we've talked oh, about before. Is that where Loudoun County yeah. is? Yeah, well, Loudoun County is right next to oh, Fairfax. Right next to Fairfax. Okay. It's Virginia. All right. And unfortunately, they have a, several school districts, the ones that are closest to the D.C. types and okay. the Maryland types there. But... As you saw, what he's saying, he doesn't actually, that union head doesn't actually care about the true education of the children. Do whatever you need to do for the children. He just cares about protecting the teachers and, and making sure they get all theirs. Because if there's no competition, then they can continue to claim uh, basically a monopoly over all of it. Yep. And they who suffers? Uh, the children. The children suffer. But hey, John Stossel, let, don't let us interrupt you. Continue. What's wrong with giving parents a choice? The best outcome for all students is going to be for the public education system to be as strong as possible. Parental choice, he says, would duplicate bureaucracy. Once you start setting up other systems, that same bureaucracy is then going to exist multiple times. Wait, maybe there would be less bureaucracy. His school spend $300,000 per classroom. His teachers don't get paid that much. The money disappears into the bureaucracy. At least choice lets people develop alternatives to you. Any ideas you have for lowering bureaucracy, you're not going to hear any disagreement from the teachers union. Oh, I challenge that one. I mean, I think we're all in agreement. There should be much less bureaucracy and all the red tape. And, and if you would stop creating all the die positions, all the diversity, this yeah, yeah. director, inclusivity, exactly. this, whatever. If they would stop doing that, maybe all that money would filter down into the actual classroom for resources that the students would use, not just the teachers getting use of them, but for the purpose actually of education. Why would they want to change anything? Why would the teachers unions, if they're being successful at lobbying for pay increases and more money, and they have, but test scores are going this way, pay has been going up for teachers and administrators, union dues, right? They get mm -hmm. their, they're, they the, love they're their union their dues, dues and, and teacher, uh, kids are not learning, but what's the outcome? Democrat socialists, social justice activists, the leftist worldview, these kids are coming out of high school, going into college, and then they're going to really go, and go far to the left. So it's working for them what they're doing now if you're a leftist. So yeah. why change it? Yeah, and I want to make a distinction. So I know we're going to, I hope we get some comments at stayeducated.org from you, the public. 
there is a clear distinction between the teachers in the classroom who want to teach their subject and those who are the representatives of the teachers, the bureaucrats, the ones who are there for their own personal agenda, those administrators who just want to basically use the teachers and through their teacher union dues to direct their own attention, but nothing that is actually good for the, the students. So there is definitely a difference, especially the higher up the echelon you go, like the Randy Weingartens, who actually care not for the children. We'll see it a we'll bit. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but that's where we're at, and I wanted to just make that distinction so okay. you can let us know your comments. What, what we haven't talked about yet is race. Does that ah. play into this at all? Oh, yes. Yeah. One other reason why some parents left government-run schools, indoctrination. White Americans have more because of racism. Your schools paid $20,000 for a one-hour Zoom presentation from Ibrahim Kendi. Is that a good use of taxpayer money? The people that watched that presentation, how much would it have cost to send them to a convention that he was speaking at? (laughs) Well, much more, I assume. But you could, if you want to hear him, you can hear him free on YouTube. If they watched YouTube clips of him, it wouldn't have been about fair pay. Oh gosh. Oh, okay. This so reason, this logic so, is just so we paid twenty grand for like fifty people. I don't know to tune into a Zoom call so that he can say one, two, three times out of his mouth, Fairfax. That's it. First off, Ibram X. Kendi, we know is a race baiter. That that's yep. he's a grifter. That's all he does. This is what he does. He's made his mil- millions because he's charging twenty thousand dollars in these. You, the the teachers unions it. or the districts, whoever's in charge of being like, okay, yes, we should have them for a Zoom call, not even in person, which is even worse. I will I will take a tenth of that fee if anyone wants to have me speak at their school. I'll even come in person. But the fact that that union president is just kind of like, well, it just wouldn't have the same effect. <laughs> oh, we have to have it. It shows his smarts right yeah. there. But hey, maybe it's because of his test taking abilities. He's not the smartest bulb uh, in in the bunch there uh and and now i guess john sassel talked to him about how teaching to the test and what about the most important thing learning public schools have consistently outperformed charter schools how so where's the evidence for that you can look in educational policy journals and you're going to see some of that stuff Yes, a few studies found school choice didn't boost test scores. Nationally, the results on vouchers are mixed. Why aren't they testing better? That was the promise. They're not government-run schools that are teaching to the test. PBS and NPR eagerly reported. Recent studies have shown voucher students actually losing ground. Let's stop cherry-picking with the evidence. The preponderance of the evidence is positive. Most studies find test score gains for kids who took vouchers. And there was a surprise extra benefit. Some government schools improved. Public schools actually upped their game in response to competition. In D.C., after school choice was allowed, everyone tried harder, and both charter and government schools improved. School choice doesn't destroy public schools. It actually makes them better. For much less money. The government-run schools spend over $30,000 per year in, in D.C., and the voucher amounts only about a third of that. Wow, there's so much more, Katie, that we could say about this. But I remember years ago when Freedom Project was warning that Common Core, part of that curriculum, they would teach to the test. We even had the main guy 
on a commercial saying that we teachers will teach to the test. All right, okay, so that's how kids are gonna relearn. Anyway, we've gotta move on. Still to come, Notorious Teachers Union boss Randy Weingarten is back at it again, this time attacking Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And her comment shows exactly why public schools are in so much trouble. That's next. If you have a smartphone, tablet, Roku, or Apple TV, consider downloading the Freedom Project media app. It's 100% free and includes all of our weekly shows, plus lecture series, archive programs, and award-winning animated videos for families like the Presidential Minute, Battles of America, and Heroes of the West. Don't rely on the social media giants to keep you informed. Simply download the Freedom Project media app from your app store and allow notifications. And we'll let you know when a new video is ready. Okay, I have an analogy for you, David. All right. Randy Weingarten is to education as Anthony Fauci is to America 2020, 2021. It's very nice, isn't it? Yeah. Came up with that one myself. Uh, Randy <laughs> Weingarten, as you saw in the, the last uh, segment, she's aged a little bit, so beware. But uh, she decided that instead of, you know, representing the teachers union that she heads, she's actually instead going to just go on Twitter and attack Governor Ron DeSantis who is actually doing his job, right. unlike her, unable to do her job. Now, Ron DeSantis has been, if you haven't paid attention this past week, worrying about a hurricane about to hit and did hit his state. And Randy Weingarten, then again, president of the American Federation of Teachers, which represents 1.71 million members. Um, she's worried about how Ron DeSantis doesn't know about the American Revolution, um, but he actually does. So Randy decided... Again, first off, she's a, or was, a uh, social studies and civics teacher back in Brooklyn, back right. in her day, before she became the head of the union. She taught civics and should know this, but anyway, um, <laughs> she entered her eighth term as president, by the way, in July, and she's, again, trying to own Ron DeSantis on the Twitter. So she retweeted a clip of Ron DeSantis, and we're going to show that clip now and then, and then talk about what she said. For example, the 1619 Project is a CRT version of history. It's uh, supported by the New York Times. They want to teach our kids that the American Revolution was fought to protect slavery. And that's false. We know why the American Revolution was fought. They wrote pamphlets. We saw them dump tea into the Boston Harbor. We saw them meet in Philadelphia. And we have the records of why they revolted against King George III. And so it was the American Revolution that caused people to question slavery. No one had questioned it before we decided as Americans that we are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights and that we are all created equal. Then that birth abolition movements. So you can't teach history that's being used to pursue an ideological agenda. You can't teach uh, that the foundations of our country uh, were somehow evil. Yes. So Randy responded with the American Revolution was about leaving Britain. If America's founders questioned slavery, there would not have been the heinous three-fifths compromise in the U.S. Constitution, which was drafted and enacted after the American Revolution. This is basic history. Now, I love how she says this is basic history as if it's not nuanced on this specific issue. Right. Uh, but we don't know basic biology. 
in yeah. this country. We don't know basic English. Good point. Uh, basic math, because we know that's racist and all. And Randy supports all of that. Uh, the three-fifths compromise, though. Let's go back in, in the history that is before, well, the founding. First off, we have John Adams. My man. Now, uh, all you have to say is John Adams hated slavery. Read it about read about it in his diary, or I guess I could go on a long, bitter diatribe about it, but I'll spare you that, so go ahead and read it in his diary. And secondly, um, if you take a look at the records of the Federal Convention of 1787, which whose editor is Max Ferrand, I personally have two volumes of it. There are four volumes, but the two volumes, it actually goes into detail as to what everyone said at the Constitutional Convention with debating specifically on slavery. So there was discussion, there was debate. They all were in agreement that it wasn't a good thing. We needed to find a way to nix it out of our country because it had already been. So the purpose of the three-fifths compromise was to limit the influence of slavery that was had on the colonies and then as we became states. And so it limited their influence of the slaveholding states and they had the intention that it would go away. And you saw that in our actual history. If you look at our actual history, Randy Weingarten, <gasps> David. But Katie, that's basic history. That's basic history. Right. When we come back, we head to the campus of Texas A&M University where students are asked to share their thoughts on new race-driven push to make the term Latinx a thing. Stay with us. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at MyPillow. Save up to 66% on pristine quality bedding, towels, slippers, signature pillows, and much more when you use the code EDUCATED. That's E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, -E EDUCATED. Support this show and a great American company. Well, it's mid-September back when uh, Campus Reform decided that they were going to do a little informing on the campus. Uh, we have a new video that was meant for Hispanic Heritage Month, which was uh, in mid-September. And uh, their university is now calling it the Latinx Heritage Month. And so we have Campus Reform correspondent Noel Fitchett, who went to Texas A&M to talk to people on the streets, well, the college kids, about the term Latinx. It's Hispanic Heritage Month and there's a growing popularity for a new term, Latinx. A lot of people are starting to use it because they believe it's more gender inclusive. So um, it actually changes. Usually they use Latina or Latino to describe female and male Hispanics. But now a lot of academics and schools are using Latinx. What are your first thoughts on that? I think it's great. I think it makes sense to include everybody. And I think it's a good inclusive term. I mean anything that is inclusive to everyone, sure. I feel like it's definitely more inclusive. I personally can't speak of it because I'm not part of that community. Have you ever met another Latino that uses the term Latinx? Not really. I don't think so. No. I don't. No, I've never met anyone that uses it. No, until I got to college, I started hearing it, kind of seeing it. Not really like back home. Like Latino, Latina. All right. If that was a white person asking that question, it might be a different answer from those kids. But Latin X, I, I this is where is it going to stop? I'm going to rally for Italian X. I need to go by Italian X. You don't call me anything. Anyway. Oh, I won't. Italian X. You know, X, Katie, X. you know, work, uh, inclusive, diverse, <laughs> all, all this of stuff it. is driving people nuts. X. Woke. 
Not, not X. All right, before we go, is up next. As an aerospace designer releases new conceptual plans for a nuclear jet that can travel across the Atlantic Ocean in 80 minutes. Plus, we've got our top Babylon Bee headlines of the week. Don't buzz off. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment for Katie, David, or any of our other show hosts, simply visit stayeducated.org. That's stayeducated.org and submit your question or comment. Our team loves to hear from you and might just give you a shout out on air. Again, visit stayeducated.org and connect with us. Katie, you've spent some time in the UK. Did you use uh, Virgin Atlantic Airlines, by the way? I'm kidding. Uh, let me fly something past you. How safe would you feel getting on a commercial jet that could take you from New York to London in 80 minutes? Do I still get my meal? Let's just say yes. Then yes. Okay, fine. I'm cool go, go with that. All right. Hold on to your britches because a Spanish designer has dreamt up a new design for a nuclear-powered passenger airline, nuclear, that could travel three times the speed of sound. The Hyper Sting theoretically could hold 170 passengers reaching Mach 3.5 or speeds of nearly 2,500 miles per hour, twice that of the Concorde. Uh, the supersonic plane would be 328 feet long, feature a wingspan of 169 feet and could fly 65,000 feet above the ground. The designer says in order for the hyper sting to go from dream to reality, there must still be advancements in cold fusion reactor technology. Earliest prediction for a space plane is around 2030. Speaking of aviation innovation, last week we discussed a story about a Swedish company that sold a fleet of electric commercial airplanes to Air Canada. But now I want to introduce you to a nine-passenger electric private plane that just completed its first successful test flight. Take a look. that's uh, electric aircraft. It was designed and built by the startup company Eviation, starts with the E, in an attempt to show the potential for an electric commercial commuter aircraft that can fly a few hundred miles at an altitude of roughly 15,000 feet. I don't know, the company's owner says this is the first radical change in aerospace propulsion technology since we went from the Super Constellation to the 707, from the piston engine to the jet engine, and now to the electric motor. At the end of the day, even the most advanced electric planes only have a 250 mile range, so developing better batteries is certainly the future of the industry. Katie, what do you think of flying on a smaller electric plane versus a commercial one? I don't know. All, Would you? All, all, Should of you? That, all of the plane talk you just gave, that engineering talk, it, it's Greek to me. I. It's Greek. Well, finally, let's wrap things up with everyone's favorite satire site, the Babylon Bee. Here are this week's top five Babylon Bee headlines. Well, we picked our favorite bee headlines to see which ones should be crowned queen of the hive. We start with Biden vows next hurricane to hit U.S. will be named after a woman of color. I got to say right now, 
score. That's like that's like a hundred. <laughs> that's like a hundred on a scale of ten. 100. Next, hero DeSantis flies Hurricane Ian <laughs> to Martha's Vineyard. Next, authorities warn that hurricane could cause Florida to have as many water and power shortages as California. And Russian spy awarded Presidential Medal of Freedom for being the first openly transgender traitor to the country. And finally, frightening new White House Halloween decorations to include lifelike old zombie. Katie, your top pick of the week. And again, there are several. There are some good ones. Really and I think that's ones. an underreported story right now is the traitor story because he is a traitor and people are like, oh, it's okay because he's trans, so we can't really report on it. So that's the actual like pick in terms of people look into that. But my fun pick is the Ron DeSantis. That's just too, oh, that's too good. Flying Hurricane Ian. Oh, dear. <laughs> They were all, man, yeah, a lot of really good ones. Well, that's going to wrap up this segment. More to come next time, Katie. Well, there you go, people. That's it. Make sure you smash that like button if you're watching us on social media. And please do send us your feedback, your questions or concerns or comments, your hopes and your dreams. Half-baked ideas. All of it to stayeducated.org. For David and myself, thank you for watching, thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting this show. Until next time, stay educated. Educated is directed and produced by Mike Menzel. Hosted by Katie Petrick and David Fiorazzo. Makeup and hair by Katie Scholl. Graphics designed by Dan Kaler. Educated is owned by Freedom Project Media. See other shows and content at freedomproject.com or download the Freedom Project Media app. Copyright 2022.